Hey, we're talking about rejoicing today. That's a good Sunday, huh, to talk about rejoicing, right? It's a good Sunday because we all need more joy in our life. And I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. So on this kind of cold, dreary, uh, somewhat gray day, I'm looking through a couple of window panes and maybe it's more sunny than I anticipated. But still, it's been a dark week, hasn't it? Lots of gray and brown. I want to show you a picture. And let's see if this picture, here's a beautiful picture that you'll see on the screen. It has yellow flowers. Everything's gone, huh? Everything's gone. How about that? Well, I want you to imagine in your mind. Use your imagination. Um, I was going to show you a picture in Death Valley of when the spring flowers come. And here, Death Valley's the hottest, driest Lowest place in North America. Annual rainfall is less than two inches. The average summertime temperature is around 115 degrees. In July of 1913, the hottest temperature ever on this planet was recorded at 134 degrees. Thus the name Death Valley. A desert place, a place where there's little opportunity for vegetation and growth and fruit. But at certain times, flowers do emerge. Spectacular spring annual wildflowers. And this desert is filled with seas of gold, purple, and white flowers. What a reminder to us today that even in the most arid, desolate, dry, inhospitable place, there is beauty. And this is part of our scripture we're going to read today. Isaiah 35, chapter 35, and you'll, you'll, you can turn in your Bibles or phones. We are a little bit spoiled. All we have to do is look up and look at the screen, but that may not be the case. So uh, in your Bible or on, um, on your iPhone in the YouVersion app or the Bible Gateway app. Let's read Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. Now listen to this closely. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. It will blossom abundantly and will also Rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And now, skip down to verse 7. We're going to read the whole passage in totality as as we preach the sermon today. Verse 7 says, Parched grounds will become... Pool of water. Water will gush in the wilderness. Streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool of water. And the thirsty land springs of water. Today we're talking about rejoicing. And we know that the picture the world gives us of joy is when everything is right circumstantially. But we know as we live life, stuff just isn't right all the time circumstantially. For some of you guys, it's just been a tough year. Maybe it's been a tough few years, or 
Maybe it's been a tough few weeks. You know what's often happened to me this time of year? I love this time of year. I idealize it. You get to October, and October is my month because once I get through October, then Thanksgiving's here, my favorite holiday, and then who can't love Christmas? And so I always begin to just get revved up during this time of year. And sometimes I kind of psych myself out because I get so excited about the holidays and it's time of year, and then my expectations aren't met, and then the car breaks down, or the kid gets sick, or like right now, my uh, little fat beagle is limping, and so I have to give her medicine. With, and, you know, hey, life isn't perfect, right? And, and, and stuff happens. I mean, life happens, and, and, it, can get, and it can feel frustrating. And, and those type of circumstances, temporal circumstances, are, is just the stuff that comes and goes in life. But, hey, there's a lot bigger things some of you are dealing with. And, and I, I, just, I can feel that in my heart. You're dealing with just some huge, huge um, crises in life, some huge disappointments. I don't know if I have to elaborate. I don't have to call your situation out for you to feel your situation right in your heart. And then it's Rejoice Sunday, the pink candle Sunday. So I'm not here to give you fake joy today. I'm not here to try to just manipulate your mind so you can do some kind of mental trick and so that we feel joyful, all right? We're not going to do that. We're not going to have, a, like Tony Robbins, like the coals of fire and walk across barefooted so we have temporary joy. joy. That's next Sunday. <laughs> the fire walk. The fire walk of God. Here's where I see the scripture speaking to us right now. There's a rejoicing in the desert. I want you to write this down. Some of you are going to be really encouraged about this today. There's a rejoicing in the desert. There's a place of joy and there's a place of rejoicing even when life really stinks. There's a place of joy and there's a place of rejoicing um, even when there's like a cloud over us. It's like a dark cloud over us. What is that? That's the Emmanuel of God. God with us. God present. God here. Every other man-made God. We've got to get our act together before we can get into the presence of these adulterous gods. But the real God, the living God, he doesn't welcome us when we have it all together, he actually comes to us and he meets us in our mess and he meets us in our depression and he meets us in our disappointment and he meets us in our despair. And if you're in a desert place right now, you're the exact, you're at the exact place that God will meet you at. So we rejoice because in this winter, these winter months, when culture has said, hey, we're going to celebrate we need a celebration in the winter. That's why, you know, that's why Christmas is on December 25th. There's nothing biblical about it. It, it has um, Roman, Roman roots to it. December, late December is the darkest time of the year. Late December is the time when there's less sunlight. And to help us get through that, we put up lights. And we have cultural celebrations. And what is the worst time of the year... Um, as far as daylight and darkness becomes the greatest time of joy and we need that as a people. And then 
we say that this is a sign to us, the Christmas season all year round, that in this very dark world, that sometimes it seems darker and darker and darker, there's always a light. There's always a presence. There's always a, 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 a residing God with us. God is with us. God's not something, somebody we're going to get to someday in the by and by. Someday in the future. The eternal life that we have as a gift to salvation started today. And our life is about, it's about getting into step, getting into relationship with this God. Living in this world, but not being of this world. Yes, we are residents of this world, but we're true residents of heaven. And the Lord is forming our hearts. He's forming our hearts so that as we all, we are one day closer to eternity. Every single person in here, no matter what your age is, no matter what your health is, no matter what your circumstances are, we're one day closer to our eternity. And in fact, our eternity has already begun. We're one day closer to the afterlife. So it is that God is calling our hearts, our hearts to rejoice and rejoice more and more in him and his salvation and his greatness instead of rejoicing on all the temporal things that come and go, come and go, come and go. So that's why we're here today, guys. That's why we're here to worship. Even the greatest among us struggle. The greatest among us have problems and doubts And God is present right in the middle of that. So we learned about John the Baptist last week. But here, part of his complicated story as we read Matthew chapter 11. Here it is. John the Baptist is in prison awaiting his execution. And we get insight into what's going on to him. And then Jesus gives us further insight about who he is. Verse 2, when John... Heard in prison what the Messiah was doing. He sent a message by his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Well, first of all, let me talk about this for a second. That seems like a logical question. But remember, John the Baptist is the one who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist is the one who said, Look, here's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist had the insight. He was the forerunner. John the Baptist was, uh, from the time he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb, he was filled with the spirit, called of God, destined of God for this prophetic ministry that we referred to. But he had, in this instance, a season, a time, a day where he said, Jesus, are you really it? Are you really it? Are you what this is all about? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And if anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. So it has been with Jesus since that time. Either you're offended by Jesus or you acknowledge him for who he really is. And as these men went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he asked, what did he go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? 
What did he go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Look, those who wear soft clothes are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And far more than a prophet, this is the one it is written about. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. And this is a quote from the Old Testament. And this is what Jesus says now. I assure you, among those born of women, no other greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least is the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So a lot's going on in that passage. But here's what I want you to see here. John the Baptist... Even in the greatness of his call and the greatness of executing his call and his submission to God. So it was, he went through a desert time. He he went through a time when he even doubted if Jesus was God, the Messiah. He went through a time where he he wondered, is there something else better perhaps? Should, Should we be waiting for someone else? And maybe he didn't have the full report yet. Maybe he hadn't seen what had happened. But if... Jesus could still call John the Baptist great, even through his doubt. Listen, he said that, he said that even those who are least in the kingdom of God is greater if we know who Jesus is, if we know who salvation is. So there is a greatness on you, even if you're in the desert, even if you're in the desert. And I, listen, I, I will stay right here if the Holy Spirit's not getting his message across. Those of you who are in the desert, the Lord is saying to you today that you're not forgotten you're not even out of God's plan. Sometimes the desert is circumstances we've created ourselves, but sometimes it just is what it is. It's things that have been imposed upon us or it's part of God's plan. But the Lord is working in the desert and there's something, something so beautiful there. Something beautiful. In fact, can we, now can we put the picture up? And picture's never, never, never as good, but hey, since it's here anyway. Hey, doesn't that look nice? Doesn't that look nice? And our eyes can't even understand what that, there's something beautiful in the desert. I took a group of junior high students to Chicago one time. It was inner city missions. And it probably wasn't a wise idea. We weren't really in a safe place and it it wasn't a good circumstance. And I I, I was really worried. I, I was really worried. I mean, we went out to, to clean up the alley and there were syringes there. And it was just an atmosphere that, um, it, it was just an atmosphere with 12 and 13-year-old kids. That I was just a little bit concerned. And one of my youth staff members, it was a man who was in his 50s, said, Pastor Aaron, come here, and he talked to you, and he took me around the corner of the closet, and uh, he said, hey, I know that you're a little worried about what's going on, but uh, don't tell anyone, but I, but I have this right here. And he pulled out, like, this huge, like, man pistol. I know some of you gun people, some of you gun people, I don't know the name. Sorry, I can't tell you. It was like a... Whatever. A Colt 45 newest edition with, you know, firepower, laser firepower. I don't know. It was just big and intimidating looking. And I had been scared about where we were. Now I was scared. One of my youth staff uh, had this gun. And, and, you know, and now knowing Chicago's gun laws and stuff, it really wasn't good. But he just, he pulled that thing out. He said, he said, I got things covered. Don't worry about it. He put it back in. Now I had two problems on my hand. An endangered children and Barney Fife right there with me. So I don't know if it was just a psychological help or whatever, though. The rest of the week, though, when 
And we were divided in little groups and we could see each other and, and we, we weren't really in any danger. But whenever this guy would come around, I mean, you were just a little bit more at ease. You were a little more at ease. And um, uh, there was something about that authority that just calmed you down a little bit. Here's, here's the second thing. A bunch of stories just went through my mind at rapid fire. That's what I was laughing about. But I'll stay focused. Rejoicing in the fear. What? That's the next point. Rejoicing in the fear. How in the world can you rejoice in the fear? I've talked about fear several times. None of us like to feel fearful. We all do. We all do. If someone says they're never afraid, they're just lying. They're just lying. They may be masking their fear, and sometimes we have to show no fear in leadership in certain certain situations. But man, everybody fears. How in the world can we rejoice in fear? We can rejoice in fear because our fear is an opportunity. Our fear is an opportunity to rely on the only one who can calm our fears. And even though I know that the presence of my youth staff was kind of false safety, you know, it reminds me of what happens when any situation that you're in and you're fearful and then someone with authority or power shows up, all of a sudden the fear dissipates. You're getting bullied at school and then your friend who's bigger than the bully shows up, you don't fear anymore, right? We can rejoice in the fear because when we're in fear, that's an opportunity for God to show up. God shows up in the middle of our fears. Today's passage in verse 3, Isaiah 35, it says it this way. Strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaking knees. And why are there shaking knees? Well, most likely because of fear. That's what we do. We lose strength. Say to the cowardly, be strong. Do not fear. Well, that's easy to say, right? Be strong, do not fear. But why? Here's the reason why the end of verse 4. Here is your God. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Some of us are in fear today. And I'm here to tell you this. Here is your God. Fear is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to break in. It's an opportunity for God's presence to be known. God is present in our fears. He's not distant in our fears. A lot of times our fears disqualify us. We say, oh, that person's not confident. I'm not going to, you know, they didn't make the cut in the interview. That person didn't look me in the eye, didn't spoke well. You know, they're not going to be in this particular position. You know, you know what I mean? There's different ways that, that, that fear limits us and it cuts off opportunities and it keeps us from where we need to be. But God looks at our fears and instead of abandoning us like everyone else in the world does, God gets right in the middle of our fears and he says, I am with you in the fear. The greatest gift your fear will give you is the presence of God. In your day of trouble, cry out to God. In your time of fear, go to God. Psalm 146, starting with verse 5, says it this way. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. This is that theme of rejoicing. Our help comes from the Lord. 
Our help comes from God. Some of you are just really needing some help right now. You just, you just wish, man, I, I wish someone would help me. I just, I just need help. Let me remind you today, our help is from the Lord. He might use him. He may use her. He might use this group. But our help is always from the Lord. So even when someone who helped us in the past is not helping us again, it doesn't mean our God has stopped being a helper. Our God is going to help us. Even if the vessel changes. And I want to speak to that. Some of you um, are feeling really fearful because someone who was helping you before isn't helping you anymore. And the Lord's reminding you today, your helper is the Lord. Maybe a new face, it may be a new system, it may be a new avenue, but the help of the Lord is here. Verse 6, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, he remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited, giving food for the hungry. The Lord sets free prisoners, or the Lord, the Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. While we're talking about the blind, and we're talking about the hungry, and we're talking about exploited, these are those, and I've been that before. I've been categorized like that in some way or the other. The weak, those who are handicapped mentally, physically, even socially handicapped, those are ones society wants to marginalize, get them out of the way, get them, get them to the, move them to the side, get them out of the pathway of progress. This is what the Lord says. The Lord says something different. We can, here's my third observation from our passage. Rejoicing in limitations. And here's the reason why we can rejoice in limitations. Because God works within limitations. I want you to think about it. Listen, people, we, we, we quit in our limitations. We see the limits and we say, ah, can't happen, won't happen. I'm stopping, I'm quitting. But our God who's not confined to natural laws, moves in the supernatural. Our God is not limited by what we know and can see and can do. Our God moves in the supernatural. And when limitations are there, that's an opportunity for our God to break through. God works within the limitations. And so we see in, in the passage, Isaiah chapter 35 and, and verse 5 and 6, I believe here, says the eyes of the blind will be opened. The eyes of the blind will be opened. Ears of the death unstopped. Verse 6. Then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. God's going to move through limitations. And the great example of this is Mary... Mary, the mother of our Jesus. When Mary found out as a young teenage girl who was, who was pregnant, not by natural means, but by the Holy Spirit's choosing, she had before her a life of scandal, a life of suspicion. 
She had before her a life of social rejection, especially in the times that she didn't know what her fiancé, Joseph, and how he would respond. But this is what she said after the Lord had spoken to her. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Look at verse 48. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. God gave favor to what we believe was a teenage girl. God gave favor to a girl, a young woman who wasn't part of the aristocracy. She wasn't even part of the desired tribe. She wasn't part of the cosmopolitan city of those days in Jerusalem. She, she had nothing She had nothing for her in the natural. That would, would, you would say, this is a girl who's going to carry the Messiah. But the Lord looks past limitations. And he looked with favor on the humble condition of this, his slave. She went on to pray in verse 48. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. God chose an unlikely people, the Jewish people. God chose a people who were who have been despised since then. And even within that Jewish nation, he chose the unlikely village and he chose an unlikely family. And he said, all right, limitation, 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 limitation. Now my power can manifest. We've seen this trend as we've studied um, the biographies of great men and women that rarely is it the best prepared who succeed. What I mean by best prepared, I meant by family pedigree, by social advantages. We see that even, even the, the, those who are part of the ruling class or social elite, the ones who are really successful are the ones who had to overcome adversity, whether it was uh, adversity that they experienced as wartime adversity or by physical limitations or, or maybe sometimes we're even discovering some of them had major dysfunction in their families. And it wasn't the people who had all the circumstances together. It's always the people who had to overcome something that God can use. So what's your limitation? You're moving into a new season of your life. We're moving into a new season in your life. What's your limitation? By by the authority of God's word, by studying history, I'm going to tell this to you. So what? Your limitation isn't too big for your God. He can move in the limitation. His power is made perfect through your weakness. We've got the involved God. We've got the present God. We have the imminent God. And our God is going to come even in our mess. Speaking of a mess, you guys know I grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So for most of the last 20 years, 
I've driven back at least twice a year between Nashville and Dallas. And it's just laborious. Jackson, Memphis, Little Rock, Texarkana, Dallas. I mean, just, you just, same thing over again, then, then reverse. Then we do it again. Just, you just break up that tree, trip over and over and over and over again. A few years ago, we were down in Houston with, with another part of our family, and I was going to drive from Houston to Nashville, and I was so excited because I thought, I don't have to do Texarkana to Little Rock to Memphis to Nashville. I mean, surely from Houston, you know, there's another way to go. So I got the whatever was hot that day, MapQuest or whatever it was, or there wasn't Siri, but whatever, whatever GPS system we were on, we got that out and said, all right, how are we going to get from Houston to Nashville? And I was so disappointed to know that the fastest way was Dallas, Texarkana, Little Rock, Memphis. And I just couldn't stomach to do it anymore. I just, I just cannot make that drive again under these circumstances. So we had enough time. And we mapped out a different route. And uh, we, we, we drove and um, took a back road and um, took a ferry across one of, the, one of the bays down there in southeast Texas. And so we drove our car on a ship, and that was cool. Took it across. And then we took the highway across southern Louisiana, went over all the swamps. I mean, miles and miles and miles and miles of swampland. And you're on the bridge on I-10. Then we stopped in New Orleans, spent the night there, discovered beignets. Wish I never discovered those because I know where to get those in Hendersonville now. That's not good. It's not to have a a donut after 10 a.m. with your dinner. But that's what a beignet is. Then we took, went through the woods of Mississippi, took a little bit of the Natchez Trace. You know, it took, took longer to get home. It did. But all along the way, all along the way, discovering things, going through Birmingham and talking about the civil rights movement that was centered much in Birmingham as it was in Nashville. And came home with more experiences, more stories, and we just needed a new view. We just needed a new pathway. I'm here to tell you today, God has new pathways for us as a believer. So we rejoice today, and here's the last thing, in new pathways. New pathways. I want you to see from the scripture what the Lord is saying. Verse 8, at his advent, at his coming, his coming that has happened already and will come again in this already not yet kingdom of God. Verse 8 says, a road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for those who walk, the ones who walk the path, walks the path. Even the fool will not go astray. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. So I want you to think about this new pathway. This new pathway that the advent of the Lord has created for us. A new pathway where there is no lion. I mean, know that Satan is, he is compared to as a roaring lion seeking 
whom he may devour. There's no wild beast there. Um, there's no sin there. It's a place where there is no more injustice. There is no more extortion. It's a place where there is no more abuse. Where there is no more violence. Where there isn't so, so many of the things in both our hearts and in society that make us ache and groan within. This is the way God has for you. This is the path God has for you. This is the place that you're called. And we gather here on Sunday mornings and we gather in our small groups and we have our youth services and we have our children's ministry because we need to keep reminding us ourselves and hearing that the way that God has for us is the right way for us. Don't be seduced by this world, people. Don't become too comfortable in the pleasures of this world and it makes you take your heart away from God because there's a path called holiness and God's called us to live out holiness and then this is what happens when we live out that path verse 10 I love this verse and the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing crowned with unending joy joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. I'm going to ask our ushers to begin to position themselves. And let's keep that verse up there for a second. Let's just keep verse 10 up there. The ransomed of the Lord. Come on, guys. The ransom of the Lord will return. And come to Zion with singing. Crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee. This is the promise of our story. Understand the power of our story. Too far, we've limited the gospel to this. Raise your hand if you don't want to go to hell. Thank you for raising your hand. <laughs> that was a metaphorical question. Sorry, that was a rhetorical, rhetorical question. So what I was trying to say was this. And you actually illustrated my point. You illustrated my point because our fear of eternal damnation causes us to be responsive to messages about that. And I hope you know that. I have no fear in preaching the truth and preaching the Bible. In fact, I fear not preaching the truth and not preaching the Bible so that I won't be held accountable before God. But I know this. I can make you feel guilty enough to get a response out of you. Not because I'm powerful, because it goes to our deepest, deepest fears within us, that, that paranoia in us. Says, I'm, I'm going to miss it, and I'm not right, and I might not get in. And too long, we've taken this beautiful gospel, and we've reduced it to that. But it's more than just staying out of eternal damnation. Man, we've got a story to tell. As God's people, as God's people, God's redeemed people, God's ransomed people. And here's our story. Put verse 10 back up again for a second. The redeemed of the Lord, the ransomed of the Lord. We're going to return to Zion, that ideal place, that ideal place where Jesus rules and reigns. And we're going to come with singing and with unending joy. And joy and gladness will overtake them. This is Jesus' people. 
This is Jesus' people, God's people. We're people of joy. We're people of rejoicing. We rejoice in the face of financial hardship. We rejoice in the face of sickness. We rejoice even when legislation doesn't go the way we expected. We rejoice even when our kids aren't responding the way we want to because we know that we serve a God who has a Our God will not abandon us. And Emmanuel has come, not into our perfection, but into our imperfection. And when we sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, we praise a God who's gotten right into the middle of our mess. And he's not going anywhere. And so we rejoice. And joy and gladness will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee. There is coming a day because of Jesus and his advent his coming, and his coming again, where there will be no sorrow, there will be no sadness, and so we will receive all that he has for us. Let's pray together about this.